0: Hey, Joel. How how was your week? Pretty good. How was yours? It's been okay. I've been, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of things and also not very much things at the same, not very many things at the same time. Um, One of the things, so I've been, uh, I had a uh, tech screen on Friday, which I hadn't actually done one of those in a really long time. Yeah. Where you do like a coder pad and you're with another person and they... You have to like solve a little, everybody knows what this is, where you have to solve a little algorithm. And, um, you know, it went okay. They're going to, I'm going to the next stage. So that'll be, that's fun. Cause I was, <laughs> I haven't done it in so long. I was a little scared. I'm like, can I still do these? Like, it's been like years, yeah. I feel like, since I've had to do one of these. Um, but I don't know. It was, yeah, it was okay. And then, and I'd been thinking I may be confronted with this. So I had been doing some like uh, hacker rank stuff some of their puzzles mm-hmm. uh, that week to kind of get myself in the right headspace in case I'm confronted with these. Have you ever Have you ever done any, like, hacker rank, leak code, any of that stuff? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. I. It's basically like, they present you with a bunch of interview-type problems, but they're all really mathy kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then the thing for me is, it's like an interview, but if you couldn't talk to the person who was giving the interview. So... Yeah. I kind of don't mind these questions as much in the context of an interview because I think part of it is that, you know, they want to see what you know, but I think another part of it is they want to see how you communicate. And the hardest part of those questions for me is always just actually getting out exactly what they want me to do, you know, just like understanding the problem correctly. Mm -hmm. And when I'm just, you know, presented with like, the hacker rank one is ridiculous. It will present you with like three paragraphs of like backstory for this puzzle it wants you to do. And then the solution is like four lines of code. So it's really all just about parsing out what <laughs> what they actually were trying to tell you so then you can do it, but it's really simple once you know it. And I don't know. I kind of I don't know if I'm gonna do it anymore. They're kind of killing my my will to live because it's just all like, it's just all like trivia. It's just like, have you seen this before? Do you know what this is? It's not really... I don't really feel like I'm learning because of it. So maybe I need to do something else. Right. Is there any... I wonder if there's any evidence that these are actually,
1: like, good signals when you're interviewing someone. It sounds like complete bullshit to me.
0: Yeah, I think it mostly is. Um, you know, they have to ask you something. I I feel like interviews have gotten worse, if anything. Uh, I was yeah. I was tooting about this a lot over the weekend, um, in that I think a few years ago, everybody complained for a long time being like, interviews are broken, the interview process is terrible. You know, we don't like doing whiteboarding problems, you know. And then I think the response to that has been maybe it's not a response to that. Maybe it's just a different reason, and I don't know. But the response to that seems to have been to come up with something even worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause, and, and, and now I kind of am like, I don't know, just bringing somebody in for like four hours for an onsite actually doesn't seem that bad to me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you can ask them whatever you're going to ask them. You can talk to them. It's like a human interaction where it used to be, I feel like most interviews were like you did a tech screen and he did like four hours where you meet everybody on the team and then you either got the job or you didn't. And that was it. And now it's all there's a lot of these, like, we would like you to spend seven hours writing a technical document or something and things like this. Or we're going to ask you to make this little app for us and it's going to take you six to eight hours. And I'm like, I just feel like the time commitment to do those things and also like the fact that you're doing them by yourself. I, I think I don't like the take-home projects. I think I am not right. a fan of that. Yeah,
1: take-home projects are... I think that they can be a good way for like to give someone an opportunity to show what they can do if they don't have anything they can point you to, like they don't have much of a portfolio or um, experience or all of the stuff that they've done maybe has been behind non-disclosure agreements and they can't really share it. And I guess like as a company that's hiring, you do need to have some way of like filtering out a bunch of applicants Um. Like to try to find like who who can actually code like who's actually able to write some code for this position um and so maybe like I, th- I think it's good to give people an opportunity to do something but they I think that that needs to be very very small and then and then you can work with those people that pass that and then like actually spend time pairing with them um
0: it's like to make you do an eight hour project I think is is quite a lot. Yeah, it's a big ask. If it's, like, less than an hour, I think that's fine. I actually don't care then. Yeah. Um, But if it's less than an hour, we could also do a phone call, and we could just, like, do what I did with this guy, which sure. is also pretty effective. I think people are afraid of making mistakes or whatever, and I understand that. I also think that... I think that the two places I worked that had the, like... Fast engineers i ever worked with um the process was basically just they brought you in for an on-site and then you found out at the end of the day if you got the job everybody met and then they told you yeah. um yeah. and those were like pretty big companies i don't know why i'm hiding it's like i'm talking about apple and sonos like those were the two companies that worked where like i felt like they had some really high level engineers there and i guess if i thought that I guess I don't understand why, if it was good enough for them, why all these other companies need something much more baroque. I guess I don't feel like the results are any better. Because I've worked at companies where they do bigger and lesser processes and have it go on longer. And I don't feel like the result is any different. So Mm -hmm. if the result's not different, I don't know why we're making people put in like 30 hours of work to like do take-home projects so they can work at your startup. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I see it. If it was like provably better results. Maybe that'd be a different discussion. But anyway, I think the point here is I'm, I think I'm done with the hacker rank stuff. Uh, I did get a, I did get a, um, the pragmatic programmers have a book called, uh, exercises for programmers. And I did get that. Maybe I'll do that instead. Cause I think they're a little bit more, you know, it's like instructional, like they're trying to teach you as you go, mm-hmm. but it also seemed like maybe it was a little too basic. So I, I don't know. Um, I'm going to try that one too. I'll, I'll report back. Uh, what have, what, what have you been up to? You said you, you were reading a book that, that I recommended to you and uh, and liking it.
1: Yeah, so you recommended Code by um, Charles Petzold. Is that mm-hmm. pronounced correctly? Um, and yeah, I've been really enjoying this, actually. I. It's It's not a Ruby book, but it is about, I guess, how Ruby works behind the scenes, ultimately. It's about how computers work. Um, from basic circuitry and it's just really well written really accessible um, there's a lot of stuff here that I already knew but where the gaps between like one concept and another concept were a little fuzzy and so um, yeah it's been it's been really fun going through it and kind of learning how all of these different pieces connect together um, like, example of a gap might be i know that you can create very basic logic gates from basic circuitry um but then how those logic gates do addition subtraction um store memory like Mm -hmm. remember things uh or um you know oscillate and create clocks that kind of thing um i found it incredibly fascinating um and it's just it's so well done. Like, it starts very, very basic. Like, you're communicating to uh, a friend across the street with um, Morse code and kind of
0: like builds up from there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, actually, I think it starts even more basic. it starts as that it's like you both have a flashlight and you're like, maybe you right. could draw the letters in the air. And they're yes. like, well, this doesn't work at all. And they're like, well, I could do so many clicks for however many, what letter it is. And then they're like, or, basically, the, you end up coming up to that, like, Mor- Morse code simplifies it from that, like, a simple message would go from right. being, like, hundreds of flashes to, like, a low number of flashes. Right, and you don't want to do 26 flashes for the letter Z. Exactly. Or C. Yeah. Um. For our American international listeners. Yeah, for our American audience. I really like that. I like how it, it starts off very simple. Like, I think somebody who wasn't, like, a programmer or something could read this book and understand it. Because it starts off... Basically as like, you know, first you have a flashlight. And then I think eventually he gets to like, it turns into like a telegram. And then he's right. like, you need to send a telegram. So message. your friend like,
1: is now next door, right? Yeah. 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 So you can't, you can't like flash a message across with a flashlight. It's, you got to wire up some electrical wires between a light that's in your
0: friend's bedroom and a switch that's in your bedroom. Yeah. And then eventually it gets to like well, now you want to send a Telegram message like across the country. So now you need a relay to like relay the message forward or whatever. Yeah. And then I think that ends up getting into where he starts talking about like the logic stuff and like the things you were talking about. So it just kind of keeps building up.
1: Yeah. I I love how, I mean, it's just a a wonderful lesson on abstraction as well. So you you build from basic switches and um, relays and things these logic gates but then what you do is you draw a circle around them and you give that a name right you make you make it a symbol that represents a concept like and or not and not or
0: yeah you have a collection of these like logic gates and things
1: right and you use them to compose other ones and you keep creating packages and then um you build from that like all of these other components and you give those names and then you build from those more components uh and it's yeah i mean it, abstraction goes all the way down to the zeros and ones mm-hmm. um the the ons and offs that run your computer and yeah it's it's cool i i, I can't wait to get to the end which i, I hope it's going to end up with basically like high
0: level programming languages this is yeah um how they work yeah, it's pretty wild. You started a flashlight and then 40 or 50 years later you're like writing a yeah. web app in Ruby. Right? I need to catch up with you cuz I basically read it to the point you're at now in the first edition and they came out with a second edition and then um I was like I should get that one. So now I need to catch up. I started it over uh in case they added any you know, any new easter eggs in the beginning. Yep. Um You were also telling me that you had made... So you've made some progress with... uh, We have big literal news. (laughs) Yeah, literally some really big news. Um,
1: Yeah, no, so uh, I've been working for the last few weeks to uh, kind of... I've been building this library called Literal uh, that does a bunch of different things kind of related to writing Ruby in uh, a more kind of Kotlin-flavored way. It's the best I can describe it. Um, I've taken some ideas from Kotlin and other other programming languages that I really like, um, including just basic like functional programming ideas. Uh, and I'm trying to see what like a Ruby spin on that would look like. Um, and yeah, so um, I've been converting a bunch of code from I. Uh, in the project where I work to uh, to use this library and that that's projects are just finished now. So um, yeah, that's pretty, pretty exciting. Um, The project itself, the like literal is still very, very early, um, very rough around the edges, like API is still changing a lot. Um, So I wouldn't recommend anyone necessarily use it, (laughs) but um, it's, this is kind of a process that I need to go through to get it to the point where I can say, "Yeah, this is an API that really works, and um, here's the 1.0 that you can actually use and, and expect to be pretty stable for the next few years." Um,
0: yeah, so that's a that's a pretty major milestone. Do you feel like you've learned a lot about things that needed to change a little bit? Like, yeah, yeah, a bunch. implementing it. Yeah, yeah, I
1: found a bunch of different. Um, like, types I hadn't thought I would need um, that I've had to create. Uh, and also just, like, using some of the collection patterns or, like, literal variants has, has been very much inspired by uh, real use of that pattern. Um, yeah, so it's it's been incredibly, incredibly invaluable to actually, like, use it for real in an application while building it. The other thing I've been working on this week is basically just trying to scale up Sidekick. So um, we're currently running Sidekick on a bunch of like 2X dynos. And we're going to convert those to Heroku Performance L Uh dynos, which means you have basically, um, I think it's like four core, four physical cores. And then with hypervisors, it's like eight virtual cores in total, so, like, trying to work on the infrastructure to deploy, like,
0: multi-core, multi-process clusters of Sidekick. So, okay, so tell me about that then. Like, what does that look like? I don't, I, I do not know as much about this issue. So, like, what, what have you been learning with this?
1: Yeah, so, Sidekick, basically, it's multi-threaded, but it, it by default, um, or like with Sidekick and Sidekick Pro, uh, it only runs on one process. So it's only going to use one of the CPUs of your machine. So if we were to deploy this on um, on Heroku Performance L dynos, we'd basically be getting essentially an eighth of the power that that the machine had to offer us. Um, and so there are some. There's a feature in Psychic Enterprise that lets you do like multi-core stuff. I think it's called Psychic Swarm, something like that. It's the only feature that we would be interested in using. at Mm -hmm. at the moment so it kind of wasn't really something we wanted to go through the effort of like upgrading for um and so i've just been working on like basically building a very simple process that can start and manage other processes basically uh, the proc file runs this one process and then it will start up the eight processes that sidekick will run on And it will do like periodic health checks to make sure that the processes haven't died or become zombie or they're not using too much memory, too little memory, that kind of thing. And then it kind of handles trying to shut them down gracefully, killing them if they've completely crashed and won't shut down gracefully. Uh, And then ultimately restarting them, like replacing them with new processes. So I looked into a few different ways of doing this um and there are a few libraries it's for having like multiple sidekick processes and managing not them? specifically sidekick but like multiple processes um but that gem was like really seemed to be really poorly maintained um as in like hadn't been updated in like six seven years right yeah and i've no idea what's going on behind the scenes wouldn't really know how to debug if bug it if it went wrong So I spent some time kind of just digging into solving this problem myself because in the one sense, you want to offload a lot of complexity to libraries that other people are maintaining. But in another sense, if you are only going to use like a tiny bit of some library and instead you can just have like, I don't know, 60 lines of code that Mm -hmm. do that thing that you know inside out because you've written it from scratch. I think that can be really beneficial um and so i've been digging into like trying to figure i've never really worked with process before in ruby the process module learning how that works learning how to read how much memory a process is taking mm-hmm. um that kind of thing uh, learning
0: about zombie processes which is pretty cool so it's a little lower level than you normally would be operating at then but still in ruby
1: yeah, it's, it's still in Ruby, and it, it's not even that low level. It's like, there's just, it's just an, a simple API for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of killing
0: zombies, though, which is mm-hmm. fun. That's fun. Um, well, that's all very exciting. I've been doing some uh, C programming. Um, oh, yeah. Because we, you and I talked about... Uh, you and I, I was showing you some stuff in C which was fun because you're like how do you do the namespaces I'm like there aren't namespaces. And oh it was so like, it was so insane and you were like what's a you're like what's a header file I'm like well it's like this other file that where you declare the functions. You honestly you should
1: write what we talked about into a blog post because you spent like 5 minutes explaining a few things to me and C makes so much more sense now. Like understanding what a header file does like it's actually really basic and now i'm not intimidated when i see the header in a c file i'm not like why is there this dot h thing what's the difference between dot h and dot c um or like uh you're explaining pointers and what it means when you put a star behind something or an ampersand behind something
0: yeah pointers are definitely something that confuses people and um and it it is I think a lot of it just has to do with that the syntax is a little weird for yeah. it. Because you use the star to both declare it, but also to dereference it, which is to say, give me the thing that this is pointing to. Mm-hmm. And so it it's a little bit confusing if you're not familiar with that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I will write a blog post about it. I kind of had the idea that I... I don't know. I kind of want to write like a little command line utility or something using C just to like show that I can because I mm-hmm. thought it'd just be a fun thing to do. Um, the, I think the hardest part there is, is that I'm not like you. I don't just, it's not immediately cleared. I can't, uh, you, you seem to not have a lot of trouble like inventing uh, ideas for how you should, you know, do something like that. Um, where I'm just like, I, I don't know what that would actually be. So I'm trying to think of something that's like big enough but also small enough, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, smaller than creating a programming language. Uh, cause that's like a pretty big task and I probably won't finish it, mm-hmm. uh, but bigger than, you know, bigger than something that can be done in like a couple of files, something that really like shows some architecture and like things in it. So I don't know. Um, if you have any ideas, maybe we'll talk about that offline, but I, uh, I'm trying to think of just little, I don't know, little projects for myself. That'd be fun. um, I think the hardest part in C for me is that, you know, the standard library doesn't give you a lot. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of kinds of things that, I don't know, just immediately become very difficult to do. And then I, I kind of lose interest and use a different language for it. Right. But for things that are kind of doing like byte manipulation type stuff, it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like if if you're building something that is sort of like a Unix tool, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like. It gets standard in and then it does something to it and then it like writes it to a file or to standard out that is um that that is actually pretty fun to do in c because that is sort of what it was one of the things it was made for i think yeah yeah yeah
1: the thing that blew my mind about c is the idea that there are no namespaces there's just this global it's like it's like if you're using ruby and you Mm -hmm. don't have any modules and you don't have any classes you just have methods and variables yeah is that is that a fair description that's exactly what it's like yeah yeah there's just a global namespace so i think i think for someone like me coming from a background of writing ruby that's what you need to be told when you're learning c like the c books seem to like when i've when whenever i've read a book on c mm-hmm. i'm kind of going through one now it seems to be like approaching it from this place of like oh you're someone who has a computer science degree and needs to know all the details of c as opposed to you're someone who's been programming for a really really long time in a really high level language that's incredible and amazing Mm -hmm. and now you need to unlearn all of these wonderful little shortcuts and abstractions that you're used to using and I feel like you could just do that in a very simple blog post, like C for Rubyists. Yeah. Imagine you're, first of all, all the code you're writing needs to be as if you were writing Ruby, but where you just had methods and variables. Like, yeah, think about really-
0: that. You have no namespaces at all. Yeah. Well, and like data types are very different. You have like structs. Sure. Yeah. But you don't have like classes or anything. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting. That makes sense to me that, if you were coming from a language where you knew all of those things, that going down, if they didn't explain to you that like this sure. explicitly doesn't have it, it might be a little confusing. Because, but that they wouldn't have written it that way. Because if you were coming to C and you hadn't seen those things before, like namespaces and things are actually it's actually like a more advanced concept, right? So exactly, like, it's yeah. just a more advanced concept that like c doesn't really have i never actually programmed in a language that had namespaces until swift came out right so uh so back in the objective c days if we wanted to um namespace something we just gave it like a three a two or three letter acronym at the beginning of the name of the class Mm -hmm. so if i was making like you know uh Collins, whatever. I just call it like CD something, something, you know, CD foo or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's how we did namespaces.
1: Yeah. For for me, it's like, you need to give me permission to write the bad code in quotes. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm thinking like, this is what I want to do. And obviously I need to make a class and like have a namespace for this thing. And then and then I'm, I'm thinking, looking at the C book, I'm like, how do I even create a class? This is insane. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. But if you give me permission to just do it using a bunch of global methods mm-hmm. and passing around basic data structures, like, um, like, that's what I needed to know, I think, to be comfortable using C. And I wonder if this is why I've really struggled with uh, learning things like Rust as well, because Rust is kind of, all the Rust books are written for C programmers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they're not really trying to unlearn
0: you things either. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. If you come from a language that is... Yeah, I've never thought about it, because I never went that direction. I only went the other direction. Right. And so, like, for me, it's been... I learned C and Objective-C and Swift and then Ruby and whatever and Python. And all these are languages. And yep. so I've only ever been adding. I've never been subtracting. Right, So that's very different. All right. So I'm going to write that blog post this week. Um, I think the way to do it... So here's how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to make it like a series of very short posts and each one will like contain a little thing. So maybe the first thing will just be like, how do you get standard in? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. What is a header file? Like what is just basic stuff like you just talked about? And then maybe I can build it up to like a real app or something over time. Cool. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, I have a task. So... I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. And then I'll go write my blog post and then we'll record another podcast. Awesome. Well, if you like the show, uh, and, uh, and we sure hope you do, uh, please support us by telling all your friends and, you know, telling iTunes and telling your friends, friends, et cetera. And, uh, we will see you next week.